Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and I are going to be talking about long travel 29ers. 29ers are going long. While the wheel size has been around for more than a decade now, we're finally seeing widespread availability of long travel bikes with big wheels. In this episode, we'll talk about the latest long travel 29er developments and what it means for the tweener wheel size. And actually, I was just looking back. This is like almost exactly a year since we first did a podcast episode about 29ers. And at that time, we were just starting to talk about 29er downhill bikes, but a lot has changed since then. There's been a lot of new bikes. So let's start off by talking about some of the newest ones. Matt, the Scott Ransom is one that we heard about just a couple weeks ago. Well, officially like a week ago, but this podcast will be delayed a little bit. But anyway, uh, the Scott Ransom, that's an enduro bike, right? Yeah. I was just looking at it yesterday and, um, that's a 170 mil travel front and rear 29er or 27. It looks like also if, uh, if you wanted to use 27 wheel size still on it. Yeah. And that one is going to be one of the longer travel. I mean, aside from the downhill bikes, one of the longer travel 29er bikes that we'll see. One of the things that I thought that was really interesting is the, the shock that they're using or like the suspension design. Mm-hmm. They're calling it the Scott Fox nude TR shock. Right. And basically, yeah, it like lets you, has a knob on it that lets you uh, adjust the progressivity, if that's a word, of the shock and the suspension so that <laughs> you can give it either a linear feel or a more progressive feel. And is that something that other bikes are using? It, to me, it, it sounds completely new, but maybe I just missed it and others already do this. I haven't seen it on the shock itself. I know I was over at Gorilla Gravity the other week and was talking to them about some of their bikes and they have on their 29ers. It's not adjustable travel, but it is like a flip chip and it does change the suspension rate a little bit. I think they call it like plush or crush mode, but it does change the way the frame uses the suspension and I guess the progressivity a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, for a lot of people, it's it just comes down to personal preference. I mean, some people prefer mm-hmm. a more progressive feel. Some people like a more linear feel. What's your preference? I tend to go on the more progressive side. But I think there's most of the downhill bikes I've ridden are more linear feeling just to really keep as much traction on the ground as possible. But I like a little bit of uh, progressive, especially in the rear, um, just for popping off trail features or jumps or anything like that. Yeah. I I like progressive too. Like having that sort of really plush, like small bump sensitivity when you're not hitting big stuff, but then at least knowing that that the suspension can really ramp up. Like if you do huck off of something or hit something really hard. Yeah, totally. 
Okay, so going in sort of reverse order of the bikes that have been at least announced or released this year, uh, the next one is the Yeti SB150. And again, this is an enduro bike, was just announced in August. What do you know about that bike, Matt? You know, that was, what, two years ago that they came out with the SB55? Yeah, and like two years ago, 140 mil on a 29er was a long travel 29er. And so now they've got, it's 150 in the, yeah, obviously SB150, it's 150 mil rear travel, and then they have 170 mil fork on it. So it's their new Enduro 29er. I think Richie Rude's got a race or two under his belt on it. But yeah, it's it's another, it's a big thing for Yeti and another uh, long travel 29er. Yeah, and you mentioned the SB 5.5. Are they getting rid of that bike or what do, you, do you know what's happening with that one? I don't know officially, but it does sound like that one's going to be phased out from what I've heard, just rumors. Yeah, yeah, they probably don't want to announce that while people still have those like sitting on the showroom floor. But yeah, what what's interesting to me, I mean, it uses that same switch infinity suspension design that, you know, if you look at it, it's it's pretty complicated looking and it's got a lot of parts and it's it's kind of bulky, honestly. But mm-hmm. on this one they managed to sort of reconfigure it and they say that the SB150 will actually fit a water bottle in the front triangle, which is nice for some of us. Yeah, because before it was just on the bottom of the down tube. Yeah, yeah, they've they've flipped it like 90 degrees, right? Like the whole configuration, yeah, which is interesting. And then also, I like to point out that Yeti is going to the metric system. They used to... <laughs> you know, like title all their bikes based on the amount of suspension in inches, but they were kind of a holdout there. Nobody is really doing that anymore. I guess pivot is pivot still talk about the Mach four, two, nine. They still do that one in the five, two, nine. I'm not sure. Yeah. Their trail. I think, yeah, it's a trail four, two, nine that just came out. They just switched up how it's titled, I guess. Yeah. Well, at least it'll be easier to compare and You can kind of get an idea of how much suspension the various bikes have once they're all in the metric system. Right. So after that, also in August, the Da Vinci, which is a brand maybe is not super familiar to everyone, but it's a Canadian brand. They announced their Wilson downhill bike Mm -hmm. is going 29er. That's one that you rode up. And I guess we just saw the press release. We haven't actually ridden one, but uh, what do you know about that bike? So it's a 29 option. They will still have a 27 option for the Wilson, but it's a pretty popular DH bike, especially up in in Canada. I don't see many Da Vinci's down here where I'm at in Colorado, but it's like as soon as I got into Whistler, there were Da Vinci's all over the place. So it's definitely a lot more popular up in Canada. It seems like I don't think their 29er version is like dramatically different than the 27 version they're offering, but now it is another option that the World Cup users or, or World Cup athletes are already using it at some of the races. Yeah. Moving on to the Fazari LaSalle Peak. And again, this was August. A lot of news came out in August um, around Crankworks. So in case you missed it, this is definitely going to get you caught up. So Fazari is a direct-to-consumer brand. They sell their bikes online only. And so because of that, they're you know known as sort of offering potentially a better value than some of the big box or the 
especially the the brands that you're going to find in your local bike shop. So the LaSalle Peak is an Enduro 29er and it's 150 millimeters of travel, which is seems to be pretty common among these Enduro bikes that are 29ers now. I was just looking at it. They have an entry-level carbon build for $35.99 and that includes a dropper post. So seems like a good option. Yeah, it's probably one of the most affordable. I think uh, we'll talk about Kona. Kona has a slightly more affordable aluminum long travel 29er, but the Fazari LaSalle Peak definitely looks interesting. Yeah, uh, seems like it's getting a lot of buzz lately, and yeah, it might be one worth checking out. Moving on to the Orange Strange 329. That's a downhill bike, and as far as I know, it's still just in the prototype phase. So our rider Gerald saw this bike at uh, Eurobike this year. There was the prototype on display there in July. And he had a caption on one of the photos that said that the company had to add weights to the frame because it just felt too lightweight to some of the test riders, Oh yeah. which I don't know, maybe they're like making a joke or I don't know. <laughs> or they're just like, look how light this thing is. It's kind of hard to believe that anybody would ask to put weight on a bike, but I guess that's possible. Do you like a heavier bike for downhill, Matt? I don't know. I mean, you definitely feel the weight after like a couple of laps on a, on a downhill bike, but it is nice. I mean, pickup speed feels more stable. I think stability is, you know, if you're riding a downhill bike, that extra weight definitely comes in handy as far as uh, stability. Yeah. Yeah. These weight plates were like on the bottom bracket area or like bottom of the down tube. So, right. Yeah. I guess maybe, maybe there is some truth to that, but it was an aluminum bike too. I don't, it wasn't like it was carbon or anything. It wasn't, didn't, didn't look super lightweight, but who knows? Yeah. Do you know the weight off your, off the top of your head on? No, I don't think they had any weights and, and it's, definitely at an early prototype stage. The bike looked pretty rough, but it definitely is something that they're testing. And I think maybe they have some athletes riding on it as well. So keep an eye out for that. Okay. So we mentioned the Kona process earlier. So the process 153 was updated, I think in April, like right around sea otter time. Mm. This is the process has been a really popular bike for a long time. Uh, the 153 in particular, and the announcement, I believe, was that there were carbon and aluminum versions now of the process, right? Was there, do you know if there was a, there was an aluminum version first? Is that what happened? As far as I know, they had the carbon ones first. Oh, okay. So yeah, now they have, yeah, now they have aluminum. The aluminum is priced at $29.99, so under three grand. It's got 153 millimeters of rear travel. And again, it's a really popular bike. A lot of people really like the process and uh, it seems like a really good choice for an Enduro 29er. Yeah. Yeah. They're big bikes. And they have a 27.5 option as well. Um, And that one's been around for a while. Aaron Chamberlain actually used to ride one of those. I guess he still has it, but he has the 27.5 edition. And knowing him, I'm guessing he wished that he had the 29er now. <laughs> he liked the big wheels? Yeah. Well, and honestly, that's, you know, I, I'm close to needing a new bike. And, um, you know, I've been thinking about this for, yeah, a couple of years now, like thinking about what is my next bike. And 
Um, I really wanted something with more travel, but I was hesitant to get a 27.5 bike just because I've got such an investment in 29er gear, you know, I mean, I've got the tires and the wheels and forks and like all the, the stuff that goes with that. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to introduce a new wheel size to my life. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot to consider, a lot to change over. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about it now to have all these options and for sure. Once I do get a longer travel bike, it's going to be a 29er. Set in stone. Yes. So white, white has a bike called the G170. That's been a pretty popular enduro bike for a while. And it's always been offered in 27.5 only. Um, but while I was at Sea Otter Europe in Spain in June, I saw a new version of the G170 that's a 29er. It's called the the G170 Works. And White is, they're not getting rid of the 27.5 version of the G170. They're just adding this Works build that uses 29er wheels. And a lot of that was driven by their athletes, by people who want to race the bike. Um, it's, I mean, it's a really nice looking bike. The G170 works 29er has a carbon front triangle alloy rear. And what's interesting to me about white, I I'm, wasn't super familiar with the brand before Eurobike, but you know, they're based in the UK where a lot of the trail conditions can be pretty nasty, like yeah. kind of all year round from what I understand, you know, a lot of wet, muddy trails and uh, pretty rough, like rocky stuff. And so white takes an approach where they build their stuff to be just like super durable. And, you know, it's, and it's not just like, oh, this, that's some marketing speak. Like you look at the bike, there's actually a lot of features on there that are designed to, you know, keep water and mud out of, for example, your, your dropper post, um, or your seat post collar, you know, they've got this special seat post collar that, um, the hardware is actually like lower down on the seat tube. It's not like up at the, um, top of it, which is how most bikes are. Interesting. And then their bearings, they use these bearings that I forget what they call them. They, I'm sure they have some proprietary name, but the bearings are basically like designed to be super sealed and watertight and they, guarantee the bearings for the life of the bike. I mean, I guess other companies do that too, but yeah, the white ones, they definitely look like they're designed to like just ride the bike underwater, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a bike that's really going to hold up over time. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of dedicated white fans out there. They're kind of hard to get in the U S like, there is a U.S. distributor now, but they, they're not, not taken off super fast here yet, but I think once people try them out, especially like in the Pacific Northwest, like I could see people really appreciating the bikes there. Definitely. Yeah. All right. And the last one I have on the list is the Da Vinci Troy, which is, I guess it has the, the least amount of travel of any on this list. It's more of like a trail bike, right? Yeah. I think they have it listed in their, uh, their trail category, uh, 140 mil, 29er, and they do have the 27 also. But yeah, they received an entire update, so it's a new generation of it in July, and uh, it's a. I think it's one of the best looking bikes that I've seen this year. It's a really good looking bike. Yeah, definitely. I'm really interested to see what people think of that bike once they get a chance to ride it. So yeah, we said that the Da Vinci Troy is 
the bike with the least amount of travel. So what, what would you say qualifies as long travel for a 29er? A lot of these that have been coming out in the past year or even six months really are over 145 or over 150 mil. Like two years ago when the Yeti SB 5.5 and oh man, I can't think of any other bikes off the top of my head, but with 140 mil rear travel and then 160 mil fork, like that was a long travel 29er at that time. And yeah. um, just more bike than anybody was really thinking about. So now it seems like the feat of engineering is putting 160 or 170 or 180 mil travel on a 29er and pulling it off. Yeah. And what's interesting is the amount of travel too. I mean, it's kind of a, well, one, it's a moving target. I mean, like you said, just last year or two years ago, people would have said 130, 140 millimeters was long travel. But then the other thing is when you compare it to like the 27.5 bikes, most of these 29ers, they lop off 10 or 20 millimeters of travel and they call it the same bike or at least the same style of bike. So, you know, if you're looking at an enduro bike, you know, with the 27.5 wheels, I think a lot of people would probably put that cut off at like 160 millimeters, but we're seeing it is very common for 29ers with less than that with like say 150 millimeters being considered enduro what about on the downhill side i'm not super familiar with what's out there but these 29er downhill bikes how much rear travel like what's the most travel that you're aware of in a 29er 200 or 203 something like that is what oh yeah just right around 200 is what i've seen on some of the downhill bikes that have come out with i don't and that would that be i mean that's about as much as you would see on any bike right 27 or 26 inch wheels i mean how how high can it go yeah i mean i think they're it seems like they're keeping them right around 200 millimeters that gt fury was so they have a 27 and 29 the 27 is uh 200 millimeters and then by swapping it with 29 inch wheels you lose 10 millimeters of rear travel, so it's 190. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, 10 millimeters of travel, you're pretty much right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And somehow we skipped over the GT Fury. That was one that was announced mm. just before Crankworks. And then you actually got a chance to ride around on that bike. What did you think of it? That was your first experience with a, with a 29er with that much travel, right? Yeah. It was yeah, the biggest bike I've ever been on for sure. I mean, it was good. It's it will get through just about anything. I mean, it really seems like uh, a big push for it is just the way that they can maintain speed. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows, or anybody who's ridden a 29er can feel the difference in carrying speed uh, versus a 27. And um, I mean, it, it seems like that's the push. A lot of racers are asking for 29-inch wheels because they can carry speed for longer. Mm-hmm. And it just makes sense to try it on a downhill bike if you're really trying to win then yeah you're gonna want that wheel size on on some of those courses yeah well was it like mind-blowing to ride that bike was it instantly like oh man like i don't want to ride a regular downhill bike again <laughs> like i only want to ride 29ers or do you need a you need to get a few more test rides in on other bikes i don't think it was mind-blowing but the benefits are definitely noticeable just as far as carrying speed rolling over objects and obstacles things like that uh rollover capability traction in berms just laying the tires down and having that much more rubber around berms to go even faster the benefits are definitely there yeah so why do you think we're seeing this push for 
longer travel 29ers? What's changed in the last couple of years? I mean, it seems like there's a big push from racing just for that carrying speed in enduro and downhill. I know riding an unreleased long travel 29er up in Whistler, uh, talking to the marketing manager from there, he was saying that that was one of the selling points to keep one of the athletes on the team that they were trying to renew with was that he wanted a 29er <laughs> to race on the EWS uh, because a lot of the racers are switching over to 29ers. And so that was a big push for their development was was putting 29-inch wheels on a bike so that they can keep their athletes happy and just keep them competitive against other brands. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's definitely a push from racing and definitely from a consumer's standpoint, it seems like too. You come out with a 29-inch wheeled mountain bike that has 170 millimeters travel, like you're going to be generating a lot of a lot of conversation the trek slash is the other bike i was thinking of that came out what two years ago and it had like 150 mil rear yeah. and 160 mil in the front and it went from a 27 to 29 and that bike had a ton of buzz at the time when it when it came out right so to get people talking i think also for sure and yeah consumers see a bike like that that comes out and they want to know what it rides like also <laughs> right yeah i mean that we see that all the time with stuff sort of trickling down from racing. I mean, that's where it's the most competitive and where the performance really makes a difference. I mean, all of us, you know, we get excited about a bike that's like, oh, it, you know, performs better, it's faster, or it, you know, it's better at technical stuff. Like we get excited about that, but we're just out there having fun. Like these guys, that's, that's their life. That's their living that they have to make. And so they are the ones that are pushing that envelope and, so yeah, it's it's cool to see how that's developing and how I'm excited for it to trickle down to the rest of us for sure. Yeah, and I guess that's a good way to put it is trickle down what the top athletes are asking for. Then it gets changed with the brands and manufacturers and then consumers kind of get the benefit as far as like racing, pushing development of mountain bikes. Yeah, one of the brands, I don't remember who it was, maybe it was Comensal that uh, they developed like a 29er for one of their athletes. I think, I feel like it was a downhill bike and they weren't really planning to put it in production, but then a lot of people are like, Hey, I want to buy that. I want to buy that. And so I think what they ended up doing was just making like a limited edition. They did a run of like 10 or 20 of them or something. Oh, really? But I'll bet you now they're thinking like, no, you know what? <laughs> we should just make it. Cause I'm sure it's sold out immediately. And you know, I mean, we see what the athletes are running and we want it. I mean, it's not just, it's not just for the elite. I mean, unless it's something that's like truly, you know, you got to be an athlete to be able to handle it or I don't know, get the most out of it. I think, I think most of the stuff, I mean, mountain biking is pretty accessible. Like we all want to feel like we're part of the race and, and that we're at that level. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing that's probably driving this too is the component availability. You know, a few years ago, it would have been difficult to find a fork, say, that, you know, has enough travel for 29er wheels and also the tires as well. You know, we're seeing the more aggressive knob patterns and, you know, people that to me is kind of coming from the ground up too, which I think is interesting The with tires that people are you know, for a long time, people focused on the weight and they wanted a tire that rolls fast. But I think as more and more people experimented, you know, consumers, they realized like, hey, you know, that those downhill tires, like they might be heavy, but man, like it just I feel way more in control. And so 
I think the companies were starting to put those more aggressive patterns on 29ers, which had traditionally been, you know, cross country trail bikes. And then the bike company said, well, Hey, if they've got like a minion in 29, like let's put it on a, you know, now we can make a long travel bike. That's actually worthy of, of the minions. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, everything's sort of catching up to this point. Yeah. And I think too, you know, we've been in this like constant wheel size flux where the wheels are getting bigger or they're getting fatter or they're, you know, all this stuff. And I think the fork manufacturers and I mean, even boosts, you know, a lot of people love to hate boost, but I think maybe in some ways that standard sort of opened things up and made wheel size like less of a constraint. And so, yeah, yeah, we're able to see this stuff. I mean, it wasn't, I visited Niner several years ago and was talking to them about this. I think at the time they're their longest travel bike was the WFO. And I think maybe even that was like right around when they were discontinuing it. And, you know, I asked, I asked one of the people there, like, well, like, what's the deal? What's the constraint? Why can't you make, you know, a longer travel 29er? Is it just impossible? And, you know, at the time it, it seemed like it is. And, um, clearly now we know it, it isn't, but I don't think it was just like a matter of the math working out, you know, like, like it wasn't like some engineers like scratching his head and, you know, like drawing stuff out and then erasing it and being like, I'll never make this work. Like, yeah. I think, you know, like geometry and physics, like none of that has changed, but I think what has changed is the component availability and some of the things that maybe were constraints, like, you know, wheel widths and, um, chainstay stuff. Like, I don't even understand all that, but it does seem like it's all related. And so there were like a series of kind of roadblocks that had to be dealt with before they could actually make it work. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you on boost and this super boost plus, which is also something people <laughs> yeah. aren't going to be happy about it. But the two bikes that I've seen it on this year, well, one was that, uh, firebird 29er that came out 170 mil 29er. Mm-hmm. And then the other bike that I rode up in Whistler was also 170 mil 29er. They had to use super boost plus just to huh. widen the chain stays and keep them short enough to where you're getting traction. And it's not yeah. just an insanely long bike. So yeah, it seems like that super boost plus, which I don't know if it'll really explode for all these bikes or anything, but at least some brands are using them to get the geometry to where they want on these long travel 29ers. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I do wonder too if we'll see more super boost and, and you know eventually Pivot will be able to say I told you so. I mean, they <laughs> they did it like years ago, right? Like yeah. at least two or three years ago, and maybe they were thinking more people would follow them, but so far, yeah, not really. But I think I think you're right that we will see more of this. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about what all this means for the 27.5 wheel size and what consumers should think at this point. Stay tuned. You can't see me, but I'm wearing an awesome single tracks hat right now. It's actually the reason my voice sounds so amazing. Okay, so maybe not, but you never know until you get a hat for yourself. Go to shop.singletracks.com to find single tracks hats, t-shirts, stickers, tubular headwear, and can coolers. 
Shipping is free within the USA, and your purchase helps support the Singletracks podcast. That's shop.singletracks.com, and thank you for your support. We're back. So, Matt, what do you think all this means for the 27.5 wheel size? You know, that was a fairly new development. I mean, I don't know, maybe it wasn't that recent, but it seems recent to me that everybody was switching to 27.5. So is that going to go away now? I mean, 29ers are just rolling out like left and right. It's pretty crazy. And it doesn't seem like these, I definitely don't think the brands want to just like eradicate 27.5 because consumers would be so pissed off and like, (laughs) yeah, just super angry. Like it seems like 29 is, it's not, it's when it was sort of like reintroduced, what in the early 2010s, it was more intended for like short travel XC bikes. And now it's an option for any sort of category of bike. Yeah. So it seems like, yeah, if you're going for a downhill or an enduro bike, you can sort of pick your preference. I want a 27 or a 29. Do you think most consumers can tell though? I mean, if you rode a 27.5 and a 29 version, is there much of a difference? I mean, I know Aaron and I did at Sea Otter one year, we tested the Norco, I think it was the Optic. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time they were offering the bike in 27.5 or 29. And we got like the exact same size, exact same build, just two different wheel sizes. And then we like went out for a test ride and switched bikes halfway through. Oh, really? Yeah. And as I recall, there wasn't like a whole lot of difference. And I mean, I'm sure I could have told myself there was because, you know, I'm a 29er guy, like I said before. And so like, I only buy 29ers, but I wonder like if you were coming at the sport brand new and you didn't know anything, you didn't own anything, you know, how would you know? Like what, how would you pick? Do you think people would have a preference? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if you don't have that point of reference to go off of and you're uh, an entry level mountain biker, like one of my other bikes is a 2014 Trek Remedy 29er. And that was also like one of the first sort of longish travel bikes to be on a 29er that started to generate a lot of conversation. But my girlfriend mostly rides it and she's, yeah, I mean, she's not like an advanced mountain biker or anything, but it's useful for her because she gets the confidence from the 29 inch wheels. Yeah. She gets that rollover capability. Like it makes rock gardens less intimidating and it makes you at least slightly more capable. Mm -hmm. So I think there's benefits like as far as just, um, yeah, the learning curve of, mountain biking at least a little bit yeah on the flip side she's also only like five two so it's a tall bike for her to be on right yeah yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense to me when you see brands i mean there's so many different approaches and i we're going to talk about each of them i think here but one of the approaches is where smaller sizes you use 27.5 wheels and then the larger size bikes use 29 wheels for that reason because for shorter riders it makes sense and and the geometry really does get complicated if you're trying to put like 29 inch wheels on an extra small frame um, that doesn't always work out so that that definitely makes sense to me yeah one of the things people say too is that the 27.5 wheels are like more playful or more agile is that something you've experienced yourself definitely yeah so this is like something that came up for me when I had that Cannondale scalpel mm-hmm. says so 29er is like a trail XC ish bike and it was like super fun on jumps. And so I took it to one of our local little bike parks, Ruby Hill. 
and there's definitely like jumps that it's good on and jumps that it's not. And it's better on sort of jumps that are on mountain bike trails, like more slope style ish, like long tabletops, but on more BMX style dirt jumps, like it's noticeable, like putting a 29 around it, obviously it's just like, it's a lot more wheel to get over tighter jumps and stuff like that. And then in Whistler on that GT Fury 29 or two, that was the one place I noticed it was on really tight sections of trail where you're sort of maneuvering around rocks rather than jumping or rolling over them. I mean, it takes a little bit more planning to work 29ers around sections of trail like that. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I mean, there are for the right riders, I think for experienced riders like yourself, there definitely is a noticeable difference. And I think that's why the brands are offering a choice. Some too, you know, I mentioned that some like cut off at a certain frame size, you know, they go from 27.5 to 29. And then some of them I've noticed overlap, you know, like the mediums and larges you can get with either wheel size. And then like the more extreme sizes are a set size. Um, and then we're seeing too, with some of the brands that offer a choice like Norco, um, that sometimes it's the bike itself that you can swap out, right? Like you reviewed the fury and basically you just swap out the rear triangle, right? And then it goes to a regular 27.5 or is it a 27.5 plus? 27.5. Yeah. So it's, um, you swap out the seat stay and then some headset cups to kind of adjust the reach for that as well. So it's a seat stay, some headset cups, and then it's a 27.5. So it's literally just the, the seat stay. It's not a full triangle that you're replacing. Yep. Just the seat stay. Yeah. That was the word I got back from GT, just the seat stay. So kind of an interesting swap to be done there. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like you should be able to do that, but I'm sure right. I'm sure it's plenty strong. <laughs> so the other thing that we've seen for a while now too, is that companies that are selling 29ers like to tout that they're 27.5 plus compatible. And this is one of those things that I've kind of like, I don't know, shrugged my shoulders over at times and, you know, just said like, well, sure, you know, 27.5 wheels will fit most 29er frames just just as it is. Um, but we're seeing a lot of companies actually offer like some kind of geometry adjustment as well, right? Yeah, because it's not like a perfect match between 27.5 plus and 29, is it? No, it's not. We we actually measured it and we're surprised that it was like, I want to say more than an inch difference. I mean, if you look at it, you kind of like squint your eyes, you'd be like, oh yeah, those are the same size. But if you hold them side by side and, and then especially if you consider the, like most people are going to run a lower tire pressure with the 27.5 plus than they are on the 29er. And so that, that sags down even more once you're on top of it. So it is, it is pretty different. Um, and then you run into the clearance issues. I mean, that's the thing that a lot of these bikes that are officially cross compatible do for you is they do generally have wider stays in the rear so you can fit those wider tires. But, but that's not always, it's not always necessary. You know, I've converted my 29er to 27.5 plus and back again. So it's definitely something worth trying. And it's a nice option to have on these longer travel 29ers. So when you converted your bike to 27.5 plus, I mean, was it a very noticeable difference in how it rode compared to a 29er? Yeah, definitely. 
you know, the obvious stuff is that it lowered the bottom bracket significantly. And that that's part of why we did these measurements. Cause we were like, how much does it really change it? Because a lot of companies, again, they're coming out at the time they were coming out with these bikes that they said were 27.5 plus compatible, but there was no like compensation for that. And, you know, a lot of them just shrugged it off and said, well, you know, it's close enough, but we measured over an inch drop in the bottom bracket, which is significant. I mean, I've, I've felt tons of pedal strikes and, um, you know, it wasn't enough for me to like go back immediately. Like it was something that I was willing to deal with just for the benefits of, you know, having a smoother ride and being able to roll over stuff better. But, and then I don't know if I, if I've talked about this on the podcast or not, I've certainly shared in the forums, but over time I, I tried different configurations with like a 29 er wheel up front and 27.5 plus in the back and then vice versa. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the combo that I like the best out of all sort of four, like regular 29er, 27.5 plus, and then like a mix is having the 27.5 plus in the rear um, just because it kind of slacked the bike out more and yeah, it just gave a better feel. Like it definitely, it made the suspension feel better. And I think part of that comes down to tire choice as well particular tire and rim combo that I that I've been using is just not great at cornering so I, I didn't really like it up front interesting one of the things too I wanted to talk about is the sort of the difference between the geometry of these bikes so again we're seeing a lot of bikes that were formerly 27.5 only going to 29er and with that change we're seeing slight differences in the geometry, right? So, um, head tube angle, that's a big one. People focus on, on the 29ers. They're usually what, like half a degree steeper. Is that what you've been seeing? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if I've been too keen on noticing the differences, but we just did that big geometry article. I'd have to look again on the differences between geometry on there. Yeah. I think, you know, the few that I looked at the head tube angle, on the 29er version is usually about half a degree steeper and the seat angle is different by half a degree as well. So there is, there is some compensation for that. It's not the same frame with like different size wheels on it. There definitely is a difference that requires like a whole new bike. It's not, it's definitely not the same bike anymore. I think that was one of the big things that we noticed is like the, in that same article is that the 29 inch bikes their geometry is progressing a lot more, or at least catching up to the 27.5 geometry a lot quicker than, than it had previously. Yeah, and there are some brands, interestingly enough, too, that lately have been sticking to 27.5. You know, it's not, it's not a mass defection yet, mm-hmm. although I, it does seem like more people are, are moving to 29er than not. But one of the notable examples is Santa Cruz. They, just this year, earlier this summer, they announced the updated Bronson and the 5010, and both of those are still 27.5 bikes. So do you you think they, did they miss the boat there or, you know, was that intentional or what's your thought on that? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, they, so their Blur is a 29er, right? That's their XC bike. And then they still have the Hightower and Hightower LT, which is a 29er long travel 
Yeah, but the LT is only what, like 140 millimeters, probably. I mean, it. I think it's 150. Okay, well, it's 150. It, it would qualify, I guess, for our long travel. Yeah. 29er, but it's still not. It's not up there. It's not 170 like a lot of these. Yeah. Right. We, they don't have like a Nomad 29er or anything yet. That will be an interesting one to watch because, I mean, Santa Cruz is really. Uh, yeah, they. I mean, they've really stuck with the Bronson and Nomad as what it's known for doing, and as what it's you know, if, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So, yeah, well, it's it's interesting because they are one of those brands that a lot of, I mean, definitely consumers look to them, but I think others in the industry do as well, and sort of see them as like the the standard bearers and the progressive, you know, company and like. So I don't, I, I'm honestly torn. I don't know what it means. Either Santa Cruz is right and everybody else is foolish to be chasing (laughs) this, you know, long travel 29er thing, or this is one of those rare occasions where Santa Cruz is, is kind of behind and they're playing catch up. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see on their next bike debuts whenever they update. Well, shoot. I mean, they're almost their entire line has just been updated. So it might be a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's crazy about it is that a lot of these companies too, I mean, it's, it's hard to developing a new bike takes a long time, obviously, and getting production ramped up and all of that. And so to see all of these kind of dropping at the same time, I mean, that means that people have been thinking about this for a while and yeah, I don't know if there's like, crosstalk between companies and people kind of know that like this is going on and they're like oh i heard that other company's doing a long travel 29 or like we need to get on that asap and then to see santa cruz it's just like ta-da we got some 27.5 bikes updated it's kind of <laughs> like wait were you guys talking to everybody else because you know that was that's last year yeah and then one of the companies too that that did sort of the opposite more of an about face was giant um, they, when 27.5 first hit the scene, they were really early to incorporate it, like pretty much through their whole line. I mean, from cross country to, to their, you know, longer travel bikes. And at the time, I want to say that they made a stand and, and said as much as like, we believe 27.5 is like the way forward. And like, that's what bikes are going to be. And like, we're just going to go all in. And now even they're, updating some of their bikes to go back to 29er right right yeah it was uh the trance that uh just switched to 29er wasn't it yeah yeah and so it got less travel than the 27.5 version less travel slacker angles and then also became a 29er which is kind of like an odd (laughs) odd mashup yeah that one's really interesting to me as well that and giant too i mean it's huge company i mean it's one of the biggest and to see them make that commitment, they're probably not going to do that lightly. Um, I think maybe they, they're seeing it. And again, if, if racing is what's driving this, then you got to listen to your racers. I mean, to Santa Cruz's credit, they were one of the first, if not the first to do a 29er downhill bike with the V10. So they were the ones we were talking about a year ago saying like, holy cow, how did they do that? They, they beat everybody to it. And so, it's interesting that they weren't seeing that for their other bikes, their enduro bikes. But but then again, maybe they were. Maybe they know more than we do. Yeah, they, I mean, they would they push the when that the V ten twenty nine er came out. I mean, that was what really kicked off or kicked off a lot of the conversation. 
Yeah, really interesting. Maybe they did it all to fool everybody. Yeah. They like they're like put it out there and people are like, "Okay, Santa Cruz says we're doing long travel 29ers." And then Santa Cruz is like, "Psych." <laughs> right. That's not what we're doing. And now this well, yeah, this weekend for the uh World Cup finals or the championships, a bunch of people are going to be on 29ers. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see what the results look like. Yeah, see an analysis of that. Aaron did a really good analysis of year or two ago about the different brands like which ones are the most winning i think it'd be interesting to see how wheel size plays into those race results and and see if there is really like a qualitative difference yeah definitely we talked a lot back and forth about the wheel size thing so should consumers really focus on wheel size i mean for a while i mean wheel size has been in flux it seems like for a decade now i mean since the 29ers started getting popular so but then over the last couple of years, it seemed like we kind of moved past it and we were like post wheel size, but here we are focusing on it again. So what, what do you think? What should people do when they're looking for a new bike? I think whatever makes them happy is, is what's it's going to be the best bet. And I think like, again, consider what trails you're going to ride the bike on. If you're, if you're really into hitting like a ton of jumps, not to say that like the 29ers, don't jump well or they can't jump as good as a 27.5 but a 27.5 wheel size is just gonna be better in a lot of cases through jumps through tighter sections sections of trail you know or if you just want to carry a ton of speed all the time uh then maybe a 29er is the way to go and you're you just want to crush rock gardens and uh get over obstacles and maybe a 29er is the way to go but yeah anymore it's like you can have the same bike with both options so it's really a matter of preference. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like if you could do like a blind demo ride of various bikes and just pick whichever one feels the best to you. I mean, you, you can do that, right? Like you can go to one of these big demo events. Matt, you just wrote a good article about ways to track down, you know, a bunch of demo rides, but, you know, go to one of these things and instead of like asking the guy at the demo tent, like what size wheels does this bike have? Or, you know, looking closely at the tires, like just hop on a few bikes without even worrying about it and see what you like, you know, make some notes about what you liked and didn't like about each bike. And then, and then just go with that. Yeah. That's one of the things too, that like Gary Fisher was talking about in our interview with him that bike companies, especially Trek are trying to get away from this talk about all the stats, you know, I mean, when you look at a bike, like it's, it's got this size wheels and it's got this much travel and they're trying to get people to look at bikes as more of an experience to be had. And, um, you know, we saw like computer companies like Apple computer was one that they kind of tried to get away from that. Like what, how many, you know, how fast is the CPU and how much Ram does this thing have? And try to just get people to be like, no, it's, it's just a laptop. It's a laptop and it looks really awesome and you're going to love it. Like I think, maybe we could deal with more of that in the bike industry. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Moving away from talking about specs all the time and just uh, focusing on on having fun on your bike. Yeah, yeah. Although I will say too, there was some debate on your article actually about the trail bike geometry and how that's changed. And some people brought up uh, this this article that I believe, was it Enduro Magazine or... Yep. Yeah. Uh, Enduro Mag wrote a piece about how geometry numbers are 
meaningless and, you know, people shouldn't really worry about them or focus on them, um, which a lot of people that resonated with them for sure. But my, my feeling is that, yeah, while they are confusing and, you know, you can't, you can't just pick a bike based on that. They still are, it's a good way to compare bikes, honestly, you know, especially if you're not going to demo bikes. I mean, if you, if you can demo every bike that you're considering buying, then you should do that and just ride whichever one feels good. But if you are like most people and you got to look online and do your research and build spreadsheets and stuff, the, the numbers can be, it could be pretty helpful. Good starting place for sure. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I definitely don't think the geometry is meaningless. I mean, it's a good way to get, you know, in a ballpark of, uh, if you're looking, you want an enduro bike and, you see a bunch of bikes with a 65 degree head angle and one has like a 67, it's going to be, yeah. Okay. Why is this one so much different? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if it was meaningless, then we wouldn't be talking about it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And the other, you know, the flip side of that too, is that, and, and with what Gary Fisher was saying is that then a lot of it becomes the marketing speak where they're like, you know, this bike is, climbs as well as it descends, you know, like you hear that all the time and it's like, well, how much, you know, how can it first of all? And second of all, like every bike says that. So I need to have something that's more like quantitative that I can compare across bikes. And that's not just a bunch of hype. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And especially if you, if you are looking at like, um, buying a brand new bike, I mean, I think looking at geometry does help if you're looking at 10 different brands and you know only seven seven of them have the most modern geometry i mean this is like geometry that engineers are going over constantly to get you the best feeling or best riding bike possible on the market right now like Mm -hmm. i think that's that's pretty helpful like if i'm spending six grand on a brand new bike then i want it to be the best bike for six grand that i can get yeah Definitely. And it's crazy. We're seeing now too, these numbers are getting very precise. You know, a bike will have a 65.7 degree head tube angle. And I mean, yeah, they are really like slicing it thin and getting these bikes dialed in as well as they can. So definitely something to, to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, this has been a fun discussion about long travel 29ers. Who knows in one year what this conversation will be like if we'll still be talking about long travel 29ers or who knows long travel fat bikes we'll see (laughs) that's all we've got this week remember there are a lot of ways you can keep up with single tracks beyond just listening to the podcast you can subscribe to our email list where we'll send you a recap of the most popular articles of the week every thursday you can also follow us on social media where we post a lot of breaking news and pretty much everything that we published during the week. So thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week. Peace.